0: just like got in this hot tub and i just told him everything i was thinking about and i asked him who was who was thinking these things and he was like maybe five people on earth are talking about this right now one's this kid named vitalik he sent me this white paper earlier this week you know um i'll send it to you you can read it and see if it if it clicks
1: hey there good people in crypto land i'm matt lysing and this is my podcast decent people welcome to the conversation As you might have noticed, uh, we've got a new look around here at Decent People and uh, the Decentral Media kind of podcast empire. Uh, We've got some new graphics, uh, some new intros, and pretty soon I'm excited to say we'll be offering a few new shows um, under the Decentral umbrella. So keep your uh, eyes and ears out for that. Uh, On the show today, I'm really excited uh, to have Anthony D'Onofrio you probably know him as texture if you are up to speed on your uh, crypto twitter and social media accounts um he uh came to ethereum as by way of being a designer uh and he got uh kind of crypto pilled on a long four-hour road trip where he took some edible pot and uh, had a vision of the future um, but we're going to get to that in the interview he was a co-founder at ethereum he was there from the very beginning and is you know to be honest a bit of a bomb thrower he doesn't really mind saying uh what he thinks about some of the other people who were around at that time when vitalik was creating the team that would eventually uh, make ethereum a reality um he has stayed in crypto and is is working on nft projects at the moment and just has a lot of amazing stories and interview uh excuse me uh, opinions and is just um he's an og so i was really excited to talk to him and i hope you guys enjoy the show uh so let's get to the interview now thanks <laughs> One thing I wanted to start with, uh, was that, uh, you, you were giving me some stick about not having you, uh, in my book enough. And so I wanted to give you a chance to air some grievances, uh, Mr. (laughs) D'Onofrio. And I've got some, I got some stick to come back at you with. So, but let's start there.
0: Uh, no, I don't, I mean, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's always fun to read about yourself and it's, it's always, it's always funny to see, um, you know the stories that people are interested in 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 the history of Ethereum and reading the different books was cool. So I mean I, I mean just the fact that books are even being written where uh, my name is anywhere near them is is actually pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and I remember. Um, well, first of all, you have probably three or four of my favorite quotes in the whole book, and and so there's that. The the quantity or sorry the quantity maybe wasn't great, but the quality was was superb. Um, and I remember, I think the first time we talked to each other, uh, you, you misspelled your last name because you'd been going by texture for so long. Do you remember that? No. I think you, you said, oh wait, no, it's an O, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And I, I've never forgotten that. I thought that was so funny.
0: Um, <laughs> I must've had a, I must had a stressful day that day.
1: <laughs> um, well, tell us. Uh, speaking of texture, that's your your social media handle, kind of what you go by. Um, it's what's yeah. on your it's what's on your screen right now as we're recording this. Wh- where did that come from? Why why texture?
0: Uh, you know, I grew up on the internet. I grew up on an IRC, and everybody had like a cool handle, right? And uh, I had one before that people kept mistaking for something else. And so I just had to come up with a new one. I, I literally don't remember why I picked texture. I was—I must have been 13 years old. Not okay. the oldest, but uh, yeah. So you know, back in that day, you didn't put your real name on the internet, and uh, I still kind of feel that way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, only getting worse. Isn't I just it? never caught up to. Yeah, I just never caught up to the Facebook, LinkedIn. Like, here's your real name. You know, it's just like it just seems weird still.
1: Yeah, you should never go near next door. I don't know if you know that app, but it's 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 a garbage fire. You have to put your, your real identity yeah, in, and like where you live, and it's like your neighbors and so.
0: <laughs> and you, I still they get, like send you mail too to verify. Yeah, they like send yeah. you a mail like a piece of mail to verify you actually live there. Yeah, it's, yeah. W- it's weird. I f- I felt like I got off Facebook because I was tired of hating the people that I knew. Um, I try to avoid next door because I don't want to hate the people that live near me that I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So very good a uh, um,
0: Yeah.
1: So before we get into your kind of backstory and in, in Ethereum and everything, uh, which I, I know cause I, in the book, you know, it's part of the book. Um, I wondered if we could just kind of go back further and just tell me like, where did you grow up and what were you, um, what, where were you, uh, yeah, where did you grow up and what were your, what were your parents doing?
0: Uh yeah, so I grew up in a little town in Arkansas, uh, where where pretty much nothing was going on. I think maybe five thousand or less people lived there. Um, and my mom owned a video store and uh, an Italian restaurant, uh-huh. and my dad uh, was a chiropractor, and so he like cracks backs for a living. Uh, but it was pretty bo- it was pretty boring. You know what I mean? It was the middle of nowhere. We didn't have anything to do. Um, but that did, I think, end up contributing to me being involved in technology because uh, everyone else started doing drugs, and I was like, I might be a little young for drugs. I think I'm going to go <laughs> get online and see what's happening there. <laughs> yeah. Good,
1: good healthy choice there. Um, yeah, it so worked was- out for me was your mom's Italian restaurant like then did it have like a back shelf area where you could rent videos or were they separate
0: so it's actually funny that you asked that question um she started so she had a video store I think the story she told me is one day my dad came home and was like you need something to do I bought you a video store oh wow and uh (laughs) then she opened this yeah then she opened a second video store and uh decided that she wanted to do a restaurant and she actually just like you would go into this video rental place, and there was like a little restaurant in the in the back, and you could get spaghetti and uh, and rent a uh, VHS tape at that time. So wow. it was it was pretty weird. The the Italian restaurant's still there. Obviously, the rental place is gone, but she sold it to somebody, and there's like three or four of them that I think still still around.
1: Did that like uh, Were you watching like great movies all the time because of that, or was that uh, like a good thing for you? In terms of the video store,
0: uh, I mean, I think I had a different experience as a kid because, like, I never went to a a blockbuster and movies were free. Yeah. We used to get phone calls from new employees, and they'd be like, "Hey, uh, yeah, so this is so and so from the video store. Uh, you you know, you have a video that's seven hundred and eighty four days late." we I mean, just <laughs> be like, uh, "Yeah, apparently <laughs> on the video store, we lost that. We don't we don't know what's going on." So we got you know. I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this recently because she was like, how have you never seen any of these these classic movies? And I was like, well, I just I don't think that I learned about movies through what was popular. I just literally wandered through the video store and grabbed stuff off the shelf. So I think there's probably a a level of like I saw obscure movies that other people didn't necessarily see. Yeah. So
1: that's cool. Did you have brothers and sisters?
0: Yeah, two younger sisters. Um, they were not into technology really at all. Um, one was, a, a like a champion equestrian rider. Hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, that's what they, so I grew up like for, at some point, like we had horses everywhere. We were, we were like on a farm and they still love that stuff. And I still have only ridden a horse twice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, I was, I was asking about texture as your handle, cause I know you, um, were a designer and I wondered if it like before the crypto kind of stuff came into your life, if I, you know, texture kind of speaks to me about like design. Um, uh, Did you, as a kid, you know, did you always have that sort of, did you always want to go into art and and be in the design world?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, art was, I guess, like probably the, the thing that I, that I really identified with the most. I was really into science, um but art was was what I really was drawn to and what I did in my spare time and you know I the, the thing I really wanted to do was be a musician. Um and you know that you know I still I'm sitting in a room right now filled with music equipment and guitars and pedals that I had to move around so that I could, you know, sit here. Uh and then you know, whenever I got on the internet, I, I felt like Like, uh, websites were a real creative thing to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would just like pretend to start businesses by designing them. And then I would just do that over and over again, kind of like as an artistic thing. And then at some point I had like an idea for kind of like at the time it was, I didn't think of it this way, but in retrospect, you know, I would describe it, I had an idea for a social media network, kind of like MySpace, right? Mm -hmm. And, um... I, I was like 15, 16 years old, maybe. And I couldn't convince anyone to code for me. And I didn't have any money. So I learned the program. Nice. Um, And so I built a website. And I couldn't convince anyone. I couldn't, I couldn't really explain what it was. You know, I built the whole site out. It was a website where musicians could post their music, where they could have fans, where fans could connect with the artists and each other. And it was just like two two years of just nobody getting it and me being in the middle of nowhere and nobody to help me. And so eventually that shuttered and I ended up uh, just kind of like hanging out, doing projects on the side, waiting tables because I liked it. I liked the lifestyle of just not having to get up at any time and just going in and not having a responsibility. And then MySpace blew up and I was like, oh, I already built this website like <laughs> six years ago. Right. Yeah, you were too so re- too I'm like early, the world's right? foremost <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, but I should be involved. So I went and I got online and I just started looking up articles of anybody doing anything um, similar. And I found these guys in Chicago that were doing something called Metro, which was like uh, like a location based chat service. But this was also way too early because mm-hmm. like smartphones didn't exist uh, at all. You know, we still had flip phones and so it was a desktop app where you could see people near you and chat with them it wasn't a dating app it was just supposed to be kind of like a friendly thing um but we we basically could never scale uh, we we ended up moving to silicon valley together like um a couple weeks after i met him uh and but we never got it to scale because like the women beta testers would like go to work and leave their software on and they'd come back and it was they'd have like 600 messages from every every man on the platform <laughs> right and like it was just this this social problem we couldn't fix uh so but that was that was my first kind of uh for you know like um experience with with being in silicon valley and startups and 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 where i really ended up meeting a lot of the people that i know out there and kind of learning how the the tech industry actually worked
1: Yeah, that's like a that's a problem with men that you need to fix, and I don't think that's going to be fixable, right?
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I think you know, like when you see something like Tinder come out a long time later, like obviously it's it's a dating at first, but uh, you're like, oh, okay, you got to let the the women be in control of whether or not the men can talk to them. That's that's the solution we couldn't come up with fifteen years before. So, yeah, you Um, you can't just tell them be nice.
1: And so did that start sort of your you you were involved in quite a few startups before you got involved with Ethereum. Was that kind of how that all began?
0: Yeah, it, it was. Like I said, in in Arkansas, there was really no opportunity. It was like me and three other people involved, uh, really interested in tech, and those guys like I met through the internet, and there was there was just there was just nothing to do. So when I finally got out to Silicon Valley, it was it was really a. Sh- it was really shocking like that all you really had to do to become you know involved with the this this kind of mythical thing was like moved literally like moved to palo alto and then you could just go to parties like the first night i was there i went to some place it was all these like famous tech people um and then you know that that just made it um it just made it really real and then becoming friends with people who who were part of like founding things like paypal yelp um you know we used to throw keggers in our backyard and like kevin rose from dig and all the other stuff that he did and um the guys started mint the guys who started uh youtube like i can't even remember everybody like like they would come and have like get drunk in our backyard with us and we would have keg (laughs) parties it was like college but a bunch of 20 something year old uh dudes just like trying to make you know, software or, or, or services or whatever for people. So it was, it was, it was really eye opening.
1: That's really interesting. Do you think like Silicon Valley was that just a moment in time? Is it still like that? Cause I haven't really heard that story of like the kickers and stuff and people just being chill.
0: I think it was a moment in time. I think it was, it was a lucky time to be there. And it was, you know, it was before kind of or in the middle of the web two coming up and in the, you know, in the, shadow of the the first kind of web thing that I felt like I missed out on. Uh, and I just, I mean, I really had expected to be more uh, successful at being engaged in the kind of the social media stuff because I had been working on it so long. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that I missed, because I wasn't a college guy, I didn't, yeah. I, I just missed the whole Facebook thing, right? Because I didn't even use it until way after, you know, way after everybody else. I wasn't in college. I didn't, I just thought, I didn't see it coming. So I think, um, you know, and I definitely didn't see the the shifts that have happened due to, to the advertising models. But I mean, in retrospect, I'm I'm happy because I feel like I would feel really guilty if I had contributed to the, the kind of shit show that social media has become. It's yeah. not something I think I would look back on and be proud that I participated in.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, what year are we talking here, roughly?
0: 2003, maybe? Like, okay. How old am I? 2000... I don't know, it was like twenty, twenty three. So okay, 16 years ago, whatever that was. 2006? 2005? Yeah,
1: so we're still quite a bit ways away from crypto and Bitcoin happening. Yeah. And it was kind yeah, of I mean, coming out of the, the dot-com crash, because I remember I was in San Francisco then, and... The whole city just kind of cleared out for a couple years
0: yeah uh but it was fun i liked it <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um so i guess let's like let's jump into that because like bitcoin was sort of, you kind of had some ups and downs um with your bitcoin experience like uh oh, yeah c- can you just tell us that story uh because your, your, your roommate was trying to get you into it when it was about a dollar
0: yeah, so the guy the guy that got me into Bitcoin was actually the he was one of the found like uh, I don't know what we really call him so the president of the company Metro, right? Okay. So we became really good friends through through working together and um, just maintained a really good friendship for a long time, and then uh, we we went to Burning Man together one year. And then the next year, I think we were supposed to go. And so I was like sleeping on a couch because it was like, you know, like the period between Silicon Valley. Not that that wasn't also sleeping on a couch, but I just like slept on couches for like a decade for the most part. (laughs) And just would like work and read and and try to like not have a job to the best of my ability. And uh, so I, I moved up to New York City before Burning Man. And he was like, "Oh my God, this thing Bitcoin! You you got to, it's just amazing! Like I'm, you, you got to get some, you got to get involved." And I was like, "I don't care, man! Like it's like internet nerd money, distributed by lottery. That just sounds dumb. I don't care. Like I care about, you know, things that matter, and I just don't care about money. I just don't think, you know, I, I don't think it will interest me. Which still is the case. But you know, it took it took me, thinking a little bit deeper into." kind of the implications and also it 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 catching fire you know the Mm -hmm. um but yeah i ignored it until it hit whatever 1200 or whatever it was the first time and then i'm i was at least smart enough to think um well i don't give a shit but if enough other people give a shit to make it worth 1200 times what it was the first time i heard of it like I, i can at least get behind trying to understand what they think is valuable about it um, so I agreed to work on a Bitcoin casino front end for some mm-hmm. guy who was like in China or something. And I agreed to get paid in Bitcoin. And by the time I got paid, um, Bitcoin, had crashed and, uh, it cost me like 10 grand. Oh man.
1: Ah, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Hard lesson to learn right at the beginning.
0: Yeah. I mean, luckily, I mean, it, it, you know, luckily it, it, uh, it prepared me for the future, but, I mean, I think the best thing I learned from that guy was he kept getting investments in Bitcoin and then he would spend all the money trying to like start a Bitcoin company and the price would go up so much if he would have just like dipped to like a tropical island on, on his investors and uh held it he, he would have done way better <laughs> so i learned from him to hold like just keep holding just don't get excited and and just hold as long as you can so yeah yeah unfo- unfortunately he didn't uh, also teach me to sell the top so
1: <laughs> yeah we need yeah i need that lesson too sell the top um, so uh, but then i think uh were you kind of hooked at that point or were you still kind of skeptical about it? And then I know you had a road trip, right? Where you um,
0: took some no, drugs
1: and uh, listened to some podcasts. <laughs> that ring, yeah, ring so, a bell?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, so no, I wasn't sold really. Um, I mean, I got, I, I probably made 30 grand that year and 10 grand of it was lost to Bitcoin. So no, yeah. I wasn't sold. And I my, my biggest issue was, at that time in my life, uh, I've been a programmer for, for money for, you know, a decade and my arms were giving out like I have repetitive stress injuries. And yeah. um, so I, I had started making cannabis edibles and selling them to dispensaries no. and because uh, I just didn't think I was going to be able to do <clears throat> tech anymore, which, which was terrifying. And the, the the cannabis industry seemed like something like a place that was kind of like devoid of competent people at that time Mm -hmm. and the product sucked and everything was half-assed so i just thought it would be a good place to go and then um yeah i don't know he just kind of like he just said listen you gotta listen to me about bitcoin i swear it's not stupid like just listen to this podcast and you know i said all right whatever so yeah like uh had a four-hour drive one day like you know threw back like half an edible so it wasn't a ton but you know, don't don't drive intoxicated, kids. Uh, and started listening to the podcast, and you know, I don't I don't know what it was. It was it wasn't like what they were talking about on the podcast. It was just more. I felt like I kind of synced with some sort of thing. I don't know how to say it in a way that's not hippie. I just kind of like like tuned into like a radio frequency. Um, And I just, I kind of got it, you know, I got what the power of blockchain was not as Bitcoin, but as something more. And it just, it all came to me like in a vision. And that was when I knew like, I got to, I got to be involved in this somehow.
1: Yeah. And it was like, was it the decentralized sort of like peer to peer aspect of like this new way of sort of organizing, not a market maybe, but just of a, of, of an organizational structure
0: yeah yeah i mean i would say like to me it was more visual right it was like once i kind of internalized the way that it worked and the way that it connected people and then i started thinking about it within the context of what i knew it was technically possible um i just kind of visually saw the the nature of reality shifting Mm -hmm. you know i could see it was like it was like being in a in a spaceship and looking down on earth and just seeing the the connections and things changing and shifting. And the the level of power that I saw in it was just so big that, like I said, I I, I still thought Bitcoin was stupid. And I still to this day, Bitcoin to me is like a cool proof of concept. But I mean, like, it's a meme coin to me. Um, And I'm not fascinated by it. I don't share any of the libertarian ideals that most of the people do. I'm not concerned about inflation and all that shit. And I'm not saying that that's not important or meaningful. I'm saying to me, I don't care. Like, it's just not fascinating to me. Um, It's like a TV show I don't want to watch. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't (laughs) want to watch it.
1: It sounds like some good edibles. You need to get me some of those. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, so that led you to be like, hey, okay, what what else is going on here? And I think somebody pointed you towards Vitalik's white paper by that point. Are we kind of in that zone?
0: Yeah. So the guy who did the podcast, this guy, Adam B. Levine, who I'm – I need to text back, um, right now. Uh, but, but, uh, he, he's the guy who did the podcast and I just thought if I was somebody in the space trying to get attention, I would probably contact him. So I need to contact him to see who, who has gotten in touch with him. And so the guy who convinced me to listen to the podcast randomly was in town a couple of days later. And, uh, I said, I need to meet Adam. And he said, why and i said i just i have some things i need to talk to him about and uh, he said he was gonna fly up to meet him in washington state at like a spa or something and uh it was his birthday it turned out and i just told i told the dude i said no nah, let's get in my car i'm driving like mm-hmm. cancel your flight we're gonna go and he's like what but he agreed to and so we hopped in my car and i drove all the way to washington state I don't even know if they had the meeting they were supposed to have. He had, like, his whole team there. And I just was like, move aside, Adam. Like, and they had <laughs> this hot tub on their balcony. And we just, like, got in this hot tub. And I just told them everything I was thinking about. And I asked them who was who was thinking these things. And he was like, maybe five people on earth are talking about this right now. One's this kid named Vitalik. He sent me this white paper earlier this week. You know, um, I'll send it to you. You can read it and see if it if it clicks. So I read it and I was like, this isn't exactly like, this is a little bit like kind of a toned down version of the, you know, what I think Mm -hmm. is possible, but you know, it just seemed kind of like fate. So I said, yeah, connect me. And then uh, we all started a Skype group. And then that was basically the beginning of Ethereum.
1: Yeah. And that, um, that of course led to you guys realizing you should all meet in person and let's go to Miami. There's the Miami Bitcoin Conference, which was January, I think, 2014. And that's where Vitalik was going to present his white paper for the first time. Um, So that's kind of a fabled, I think, house in this whole history. Um, Can you just tell people, like, tell tell, tell us what that was like? and, And I know that you said there was a ton of energy and the vibe was, was, was crazy, but you know, everyone was meeting for the first time. I just, I'd love to hear in your own words, like what you remember about that couple of days.
0: Yeah, it was, it was probably the best, the best time in terms of like historical memories about Ethereum because before that it was just all of us on Skype afterwards, obviously like, you know, people know, I'm sure that uh, kept up with the history that like, things weren't always good but in the miami house it was just this moment this this really kind of amazing moment where everybody came together we were meeting each other for the first time and there was just this palpable energy of excitement you know like that if we're going to if we do this it's going to be something big and it's going to be something important and you know it it just had a level of excitement that was it was just like buzzing the, the 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 energy was just indescribable um we were very excited and then I met Vitalik and uh I was standing in the kitchen and, and we had been there you know for a while I've been there for like all day I hadn't seen him met everybody and uh he like walks in the kitchen to grab something and I look at him like Vitalik what's up and he's just like staring at his phone. He's like, I'm studying Chinese. <laughs> I was like, Okay. <laughs> okay, <man. laughs> How are you? And he's like, Good. I was like, All right, this is a different dude here. You know, like the rest of us were all hanging out, chilling, drinking beers and like he was just in his room studying Chinese and uh, you know, uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah,
1: that's amazing. Um and so that by then, like, the white paper had helped kind of spread this idea that, you know, Bitcoin is one thing, but this Ethereum idea is, like, we can do so much more with it. Was that what everybody was kind of vibing off of?
0: I mean, it really depended on whether or not you were – I mean, there was even pro and anti-Ethereum at that time. Yeah. So Dan Larimer, <clears throat> the guy that did BitShares, was – initially worked with Charles Hoskinson on – Something. Basically, like they had just started BitShares and they hated us because Charles was there. And honestly, in retrospect, they probably hated Charles because they knew him already. <laughs> <laughs> and we just it reminded me like of, of a scene from like, I don't know, like uh like dodgeball or something, like just like a slow motion walk, like nerds <laughs> walking and then other nerds walking and like meeting eyes from across the conference. Um, uh, but yeah, even at that time there were there were the people that got it that just got it, you know, from the beginning. And then there were people like to this day who just, they they don't really fundamentally understand blockchain technology. They understand scarcity or whatever thing that makes them cling to Bitcoin. And those people have always kind of had a kind of anti-Ethereum slant. And um,
1: Yeah, I remember it. researching my book, um, Larimer took a video, like he, he kind of, went up to Vitalik after his talk and like just started peppering him with all these like difficult questions you know and Vitalik kind of I think he had some answers but they were you know tough questions about scaling and all this stuff that you know would come into the equation years later and it was like right off the bat um were you were you at that talk that Vitalik gave were you in the room
0: yeah yeah I was in the room I saw it
1: what was that like
0: you know I don't remember to be honest I just remember it probably was just like I mean, it was hard to understand like first of all I'll tell you why I don't remember it. (laughs) Is because it was the fucking nerdiest conference I'd ever been to in my entire life. And the only thing that I really remember is just being like, Holy shit, what is wrong with all these people? (laughs) Like you know what I mean? And I'd been in Silicon Valley and had that experience, but it was like I don't I was just I think I was just so fascinated with the types of people that were there because it was like hardcore libertarians for the most part and then like straight sociopaths. Like you could just see, you know, like just people wearing suits and like situations where it's not appropriate to wear a suit and just saying shit. And we were, it was just, just the weirdest place that I'd, it's, it's actually the only Bitcoin conference I've ever been, like been to. Yeah. Um, that was enough for before, you. Huh? Yeah. It was, it was too much. That's, that's why I just remember being, I probably was staring at the crowd the whole time, to be honest with you. Like mm. what the what the hell is going on here? Uh
1: what was um so if it's like that nerdy sort of weird sociopath um vibe, was the ha- was the or the Ethereum house like that too? Or was it like a different kind of um mood over there?
0: No, it was different. I mean, obviously like, you know, with all due respect, there's some fucking nerds in Ethereum, but they were they're also a little bit more normal. You know, now you know, as far as the sociopathic thing, you know, um. Yeah we we had some sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't evident in the first few days. Like some of the stuff was, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Like Charles Hoskinson. The moment I met him, like, just set off my my alarm. You know what I mean. And I, and in terms of like claims about him, I can't make any claims about him. I can only tell you what it felt like to meet him. And as soon as he met me, it was just off. You know, when he put his hand out to me, and it was just too friendly, and it just it had that like the air of fakeness and then just some weird shit man you know like he just did some weird shit he just the whole thing every it was just unnecessary stuff you know like walk into the room and he's like um yo texture come here i'm like all right what's up he's like check out this check out this text message and he had already said a bunch of shit like he used to work for DARPA and he was on the front lines of Afghanistan or whatever yeah and he showed me this text message and it's like some girl saying like I want to suck I don't know are we allowed to curse on this because I do a lot (laughs) 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 I want to suck and like you know and I'm like why why are you showing me this he's like you know where I met this girl I'm like no I don't understand why I'm even having this conversation with you he's like I met her on the front lines of Afghanistan all right, guy. I uh, <laughs> just don't know what's wrong with you.
1: Did he um, have his um passport in his front pocket of his shirt at that point?
0: I don't remember that. I think he used to walk uh, around like that
1: uh, at some points, yeah.
0: He was again an interesting character. Like he I think he plays a character um and to me it's like Steve Jobs meets your grandpa. So mm-hmm. like I know him as a person and when um Cardano blew up, and, like, I see people defending him on Twitter. I'm like, Let me, well, he posts YouTube videos. Let me go watch him. And so I started watching him, and after about five minutes, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I see how people get, like, sucked in because he just he has this this aura about him. Like, oh, I'm your grandpa. Come sit on my lap. I wouldn't lie to you. And I'm Steve Jobs. Let me sell you a vision. Um, but, you know, I also know him, so. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So in those early days, uh, you one of the ways you helped out first of all was like the Ethereum website was like kind of terrible, right? It was like janky and not very good looking. So was that one one of the first things that you kind of like got your hands dirty with was helping them make it look like something that you would want to invest in?
0: Yeah. So um, yeah, in the in the beginning, it was very difficult to to figure out what you know what roles people would play, and I was trying to mediate it like. Like I said, I don't want to be a programmer anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was just praying, like, dear God, please let there be roles that are not programming because I felt like I had a wide enough set of skills that I could I could fill other gaps. And it and it was very obvious. There was no Ethereum website when when you know, in the beginning. Um, there was just a Skype group. And then Vitalik <laughs> Vitalik sent that thing, it was like, I designed a logo on a website and it was like this horrible yellow color website and he had like ripped off some shit coins logo and it was like so bad just like written Ethereum on it and like I'm you know I was a designer but I was like I I was really into aesthetics I'm I've never been a logo designer ever in my life Mm -hmm. but in that moment I was like we I have to like fix this logo and I was like watching Game of Thrones which is ironic given the fact that Ethereum eventually became Game of Thrones but (laughs) I was watching Game of Thrones and I was just like, let me do anything. You know what I mean? Anything that I make is going to be superior to this and be like less awkward. Um, so I like threw, threw a logo together, like like played around for a little bit and it, it ended up being like, this the specific font where I put like two sigmas together in a particular way and it ended up looking kind of like a diamond or something mm-hmm. um and you know it's it's on the internet somewhere um it's been posted on twitter before and you can kind of see the the inspiration for the the ethereum logo that exists now um and then you know there were a lot of people fighting for positions and and not everybody was very good at what they were doing and Somebody's friend of a friend who was, who was like a photographer who was just starting. I think it was Mihai, Mihai's friend.
1: Okay. That's Um, Mihai Alisi. He's one of the co-founders of Ethereum.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, everything that he ever did for Ethereum was like, Almost destroyed Ethereum. Like, not like Charles, who like, like, like methodically almost destroyed it, but like Mihai was like, I have an idea. And then it would just like blow up. Like, no (laughs) offense to Mihai or the people that love him, because I know, I know like Taylor loves Mihai and I love Taylor, but um, I I was always just fascinated. Like, every decision he made, just it was like watching a little kid set off a firework on top of a box of fireworks without (laughs) realizing it. And then everything exploded. Um, But his friend, was terrible at design and me, I kept trying to push this guy's designs out and I would just like fucking be like, Oh my God. And then I would go and I would redo everything so that it wasn't shitty and pixelated and like, just make sure that everything that came from like anything that hit the public looked, <laughs> looked good. Like looked like we were a legitimate project, not like a band of merry morons because, <laughs> um, you know, growing up as a, as an artistic person who, I, I just kind of ended up in a world I didn't really mean to as a kid. Like I said, like I was just trying to avoid drugs and I ended up on IRC with a bunch of people who, in retrospect, were probably like super autistic nerds. And I just imagined they were cool because I'd seen like the movie Hackers. And <laughs> so like, yeah. that's how I <laughs> imagine myself. Yeah. Um, but one of the big problems with, with open source st- uh, software and, and projects run by people who are highly technical is they don't care about how things look and i don't think they even notice how they look Mm. and so knowing that i was just like they don't even have a sense of whether or not this is good but i do so i I just i just anything that went out that looked bad i just redid it and made sure it didn't go out looking bad in the very beginning
1: yeah and it's what's fascinating to me about this this the co-founder story uh and this group of people like kind of gathered around vitalik is how everything was great and happy and and maybe a little weird in, in Miami in January. And then by like June or July, uh, you you shift forward and it's like, like you mentioned, it's like game of Thrones. Like people are, um, separating into different camps. People are saying like, I'm going to leave if, if X, you know, person doesn't get kicked out. And like, can you just give us your view on that? Um, because so just to set the stage a little bit, um, by the time, like, so six months later or so after the Bitcoin conference, the, the, the there's the house in Zug, uh, the spaceship, is what they called it, because it's like really modern and fancy. And it's kind of like, that's one of the headquarters. The other one is is run by Anthony DiOrio in Toronto. But the the Swiss headquarters is where, it's kind of like basically tensions had gotten to um, such a point that an all hands deck on deck meeting was called. And then maybe you could just kind of take it from there and tell us what you remember about that.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, the problem was, again, like, we did have, you know, there were the people that were there for the ideolo- ideological stuff, and then there were the people that were there for power or money or whatever they saw coming, and I mean, I can't speak to their vision, but like, you know, like, Diorio personally screwed me, right? So in the beginning, it kind of, it was like the the pre-Game of Thrones thing was like, you know, we were all there in the beginning. And I, you know, I I was usually more like a pretty confrontational person. But in this particular thing, I was a little bit more methodical. Maybe it's because I was watching Game of Thrones. I was like, you know, you don't always want to be the guy with his head out. You know, you get chopped (laughs) off. So I tried to be a little bit more reasonable. I did survive a lot longer than a lot of people who were there in the beginning. A lot of people got screwed, like really, really bad by people because they chose the wrong alliances or whatever. But like Diorio was supposed to be my point person. And, you know, he told me nobody was getting paid. I'm working three jobs, one of them being Ethereum. Um, I just had a kid. Uh, I was sleeping on my sister's uh, love seat, not even her, couch. she didn't even have a couch. She had a (laughs) one bedroom apartment. I was sleeping on a love seat, like curled up every night. And I had no money, and I'd been told that nobody was getting paid. And uh, then then whatever, the the, the pre-sale happens. Um, and DiOrio calls me up one day and asks me for a favor. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem, man. Hey, by the way, now that I've agreed to do you a favor, if you could, you know, I just found out that people were getting paid this whole time. And mm-hmm. I haven't, and I'm like really kind of hurting, you know. um, Now that we've done the pre-sale, now that we're doing the hiring, and all, do you think that you could put in a good word with the, and like to whoever's making the the monetary decisions to just make sure that I get back paid for the work that I did? And it was like, I don't know how long I've been working on it, but I asked for ten grand, which was like nothing, mm-hmm. and he he just was like, oh no, definitely not. Huh. And I was I was like, <clears throat> what? He's like, no, definitely, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? And I just fucking lost it on him. I was like, dude, I just told him he was, like, a horrible person. And, like, to just fuck off. Uh, I don't think I talked to him after that. But, um, you know, stuff like that. Like, he, he just had no sense that you can be. Like, I know his relationship with other people that he's worked with. And he just seems like one of those people that always has to, like, screw the person he's he's working with or the people that he's working with for some reason. Like, and I can't, you know, obviously I can't make any claims about who he is as a person. I don't know. I know he moves with five bodyguards or something like that at all times now. But I just know what happened to me, which is like, it's very, very strange for a person to come and ask you for a, a favor. And then you ask them for a, a much smaller favor, because I don't remember what his favor was, but I remember it was pretty big. <laughs> and... uh them just not even understand, like, basic reciprocity or, like, why why I would be in a position like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, there was a lot of weird stuff and just people with weird Um, babies. Yeah,
1: that's interesting because I I know um, there was another schism was kind of between um, people who had technical capabilities like coding and development capabilities and then folks who didn't, you know. And I know Gavin Wood was sort of, like, not really a big proponent of of the people who didn't have technical capabilities um but it's so it surprises me that anthony would sort of be coming at you like that you know um was, but uh, do you think do you think do you remember that schism of like the technical versus the non-technical people and was that was that something that was there kind of from the beginning
0: uh you know i mean i don't here's the thing is because I was technical, but I wasn't doing technical stuff. I mean, my favorite quote from your book is that I'm the only person that Gav likes. <laughs> 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 I thought that was really funny. And and that was kind of the position that I tried to take was, I like not political, you know what I mean? But, but I could talk to everybody about everything. And I was very inspired by the project. And I did want to see the bed. Like, I don't have any problems with Gav to this day, even though I know, I know a lot of other people do. Um, but I was technical. I just wasn't working on technical things. I was competent. Um, I do you know, I do think that the biggest schism. Um I mean, again, like when you when you come from a technical background, you're listening to people maybe it you know, maybe it felt like technical versus not technical, but it could have just been people who are full of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who 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 are pissing Gav off. Cause you know, like a Diorio or a Hoskinson or somebody like that trying to trying to make moves and, and and that don't necessarily make sense but but like both of those guys were cosplaying you know what mm-hmm. i mean everything yeah. that they were they like like diorio got his money from his dad and his he, he got money from his dad and bought bitcoin and then started a like a gambling site mm-hmm. and they made a much more bitcoin mm-hmm. so like these people and Charles had like a Bitcoin um, educational thing that he never finished on like Udemy or something. Like they just were they were cosplaying characters that they didn't really have the the capacity to play. And I think if Gav, who who does have you know a competency and a technical background, comes in into conflict with them, he's going to see that. And so whether or not it was technical or whether that was the justification, I do know that it, you know from the perspective I had, it was like presented to me because everybody talked to me right like I was the person everyone trusted and everyone would come to to talk to about what was happening so I got the perspective of everybody of what was going on um because after everything blew up everyone called me oh my Mm -hmm. god you're never gonna believe what just happened and you know and and so while I wasn't like in the center of it I did get everybody's perspective after the after the kind of uh dust had settled but it was very difficult um it made things very difficult because yeah. everything split into teams. While in the beginning of Ethereum, and like we didn't even necessarily talk to each other. Do you know how hard it is to run? Because what I ended up getting hired for was to run the community, right? Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know how hard it is to run the community when you're not allowed to talk to anyone else in the like, in the organization <laughs> about what's going on?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um,
0: it was wild.
1: One of one of the favorite details in my book um, was. So at that meeting in the in the house in Switzerland, you know that's basically where Vitalik had to kind of make a decision, and he he fired Charles and he fired Amir Chetrit. I think that's when you kind of came into the fold a little bit more with Taylor, Gehring. Um and like tensions were just really high in the house. And that night, you know, everybody kind of went their own ways. And as everybody was getting ready to go to bed, I think it was like Mihai and um, Rox- Roxana were in the room with, with Vitalik and Gavin Wood and Gavin would got up and he locked the door, you know, cause he's like, like he was just, you know, just had that kind of vibe of like, I don't know what could, you know, I don't know what these people could do. Um, so I, I always, I always just marveled at how Ethereum, like the power of it was so strong that it kind of like, it didn't almost didn't matter that, the, that there were all these like crazy political battles that were going on. It was like, it was going to succeed in spite of itself almost.
0: Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot because I was in a lot of unsuccessful startups. And they were all clusterfucks. And then Ethereum was too. And it seemed sad because it seemed like we could do something big. Mm-hmm. And I do think, you know, in retrospect, I think the reason that, that that happened was because there was a white paper and people read it and they, they shared a vision. And it's almost like if we were all going to climb a mountain together and we all got the map to the top, and we knew where we were going and then we got into a fight a quarter way up the mountain and split ways like we still have the map we still know how to get to the top
1: mm-hmm.
0: and whereas you know the previous um startups that I've been a part of were a lot more ad hoc they didn't really have a vision for where we were going and it was kind of like all right well let's shift that you know shift with with new knowledge and kind of move and ethereum just always had the vision from day 1 and it's you know it's it's something that's taken a long time to to create and 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 get into the world, like it's still only partially developed, you
1: know. Did you ever think it was going to fail? Like, re, was there a point where, you're like, uh, I, I don't think this is actually going to work?
0: Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I worked with the foundation, and then we, the a whole new board came in, right? Yeah. Yeah. This and, is a good story. <laughs> yeah, a whole new board came in, and they called me up and they said, we don't think community management's important. We're going to let you go. And I was like, <laughs> "The fuck do you, what do you mean you're going to let me go? I mean, I've been here since day one working for free. Like, what, what does this mean? Let me go. That doesn't make sense. You know, like this is like, I felt like somebody saying like, oh, you don't have to parent your child anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. like just go, you know, we've got a new board. That board lasted like two weeks. They lasted yeah, this, long enough to like fire me.
1: This was a board that was meant to come in and like professionalize it, right? That was the whole idea. It was like three, yeah. three uh, people from different fields, and then Ming Chan was the executive director, and she came in at that point. Uh, and well, then Ming yeah, came
0: in after them. No, I think she was there. It.
1: Wasn't she there? And and they uh, like right off the bat, there was like there was people who were backstabbing each other and. She, um she, she she sent an errant text message. She thought she was texting her sister, but she was actually texting one of the new board members, saying how um, much she hated them and how they had already been mean to her and, and were attacking <laughs> her. And so she sends that to one of the board members by mistake. They basically say, "Okay, you have to leave." You know. So she leaves, and then Vitalik really had a. a, a you know, he liked her. They got along really well. And so basically over the next couple of weeks, I think Ming got to stay and the board members were all fired.
0: <laughs> so I was fired, um, I think before Ming, but after the board members, because uh, <laughs> I never met Ming then. Um, I ended up having conversations with Ming when she did, when I do remember her taking um, a position because she called me and uh, I just like, you know, at that time no books had been written. There was no history on Ethereum. And I just was I was just like, listen, here's what you're walking into. Yeah. Here's here's what's happened. And I just gave her the, the lowdown on it. And she was really I mean, I know people have their issues with her. I never worked with her, but she was always very respectful and she would reach out and talk to me and you know, um you know, she offered me a job at Ethereum multiple times, but uh at that time I was just like, you know, nah, I'm I'm good. I'm like I'm taking a year off. I, I I don't want a job. And then,
1: so to get back to the point, was it that like these board members coming in that made you think, oh, this this project going down? Was it was that the sort of?
0: Oh, sorry, no. Um, so I was let go, and but I was still part of the Skype. Like I I was part of, you know, I was part of the communication channels, and for a long time I ran the the water cooler channel like for Skype. So it was like mm-hmm. the non professional where people could come and bitch. Mm-hmm. and I ran that outside of, of it um, but no there was a time where I was like this is never gonna this is never gonna launch and Vlad Zamfir messaged me and he said oh I'm really regretting I sold all my Ethereum like yesterday and I just wish I hadn't yeah. and this you know he pre-sold it before launch I said you can have all mine like I'll sell you mine like this isn't gonna happen and he's like really and I was like sure I don't care this project's never gonna launch oh, and then uh the next day, they launched the main net. Was the next week, and I messaged him. I said, "Sorry, never mind. <laughs> 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 Sorry, never mind." Sorry. I mean, fate, fate uh, stepped in for me a lot. You know yeah. what I mean? There were de- yeah. there were definitely a lot of things that I w- that if time if timing hadn't occurred within a twenty four hour period of me making stupid decisions, um, or me making a stupid decision that turned out good, like things would have turned out much differently. But yeah, no, I definitely didn't think it was going to happen.
1: Well, what do you think about it now? What's the how, how is the state of Ethereum at this point um, after the merge and whatnot? How, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, you know, I mean, I've I've taken issue with Aya. Um, you know, as and, uh, as far as like the Ming to Aya transition, I know that.
1: So that's the new um, executive director of the Ethereum Foundation.
0: Yeah, I um, I don't know. I said Miyagachi. So I met her in San Francisco um, at some at a internet archive event Mm-mm. um i don't I just don't think she liked me. I met her with what some what what is this guy's name um I can't remember his name, but he he's like never officially worked for the ethereum foundation, but she's al- he's always like standing right next to her mm. um but there's kind of you know there's kind of CD history about how aya ended up in in ethereum and what her role is and and why she was placed there. Um, that I'm not, I'm not saying it's like nefarious, but it definitely at the time was, it seemed a little weird. And even now it bothers me because I feel like, I feel like in a project like this, you do definitely want to, um, you do kind of want to be as hands off as possible in the long term, Maybe if that's possible, I don't, I don't know how possible that is. I'm, I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely a supporter of the idea that, that the future is built by visionaries and not through voting and not through... Like, if you look at Bitcoin, it's just ossified. Like, the, the point of Bitcoin devs is basically to make sure that no dramatic changes happen. And I think Vitalik does a good job of trying to just introduce concepts and then other people, you know... um kind of take them on and other people submit ideas it's 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 totally fine um and vitalik is by no means a king but for me I, i wish there was a little bit more leadership in in the foundation um not so much directional but more supportive so you know the last time that the first time that i and i uh got into uh conflict was because I reached out to her because the website had sucked for years. And actually Ming had offered to let me come in and, and head that. And I just didn't want to at the time. So when I reached out to her, I said, hey, you know, um, I'm happy to work on the website for free. I'll like, You, you guys don't have to pay me. I'm good. Um, and she's like, oh, there's already a team on that. I said, okay, who is it? She's like, I don't know. We do mean you don't know. <laughs> what is your job? Is your job not to know who's doing stuff and make sure it's getting, like, legitimately, what are you doing? It took her six months. It took her six months to find out who was heading the website. She got back to me, gave me the guy's information. It was Josh Stark, whose own website was garbage. And I messaged him on Telegram or, yeah, Telegram or something. I said, hey, what's up? You know, it's it's texture, like, let me, uh, you know, let me help. And he just, he was like, no, nope, huh. I don't want your help. And I was like, I'll do it all for free. Like, you don't have to worry about, nope. And he just told me to fuck off. And uh-huh. then I, th- the fact that it took her six months to find out who was in charge of the website to me was a little bit egregious, right? And then it was like two more years of me harassing them on, online until finally that, that problem got solved. Yeah. But to me, it was like, it was something that could have been solved in three months if somebody just had cared and for whatever reason it just didn't happen, So I'm fine with the fact their website, like, you know, it's functional now. Um, It seems like people like it. It seems like it has the resources necessary. Um, But the last time that we went head to head, uh, you know, because she blocked me on all socials or whatever, was uh, Peter was complaining about uh, dev compensation. And and not just compensation, but a feeling of appreciation. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to my point that I'm making. It's like the leadership – part of being a leader is is not just kind of setting the vision for where you're going, but also making sure that the people that, that are doing the work feel seen and feel appreciated. Right. And so I just read into this idea, like Peter doesn't feel appreciated. It's not necessarily about compensation. There's clearly, he's just clearly just like feeling like some sort of slave labor is happening and like mm-hmm. no one gives a shit and no one, you know, everybody's getting rich around him. And so I kind of like, I don't know, I put up, like, a one ETH bounty if 100 people tagged Aya to, like, increase their compensation. (laughs) And then uh, we raised, like, $360,000 in 24 hours to um, split between Peter and Marius. I think they got, like, 180K each. Wow, that's Um, great. Yeah, so that was cool. And then I found out later that, um, you know, after I kind of, like, waged that, like... uh, that little conflict that they actually were brought in like a couple weeks later and they re- renegotiated their salary. So mm, nice. that was good.
1: So just watching you from afar, like on Twitter and stuff, t- tell me if I've got this right. Um, I think like you at first about NFTs, about non fungible tokens, you were a bit skeptical or maybe dismissive, but then you kind of had a come to Jesus moment and now you're, you're doing some some crazy cool stuff in, in the nft space is that am i correct about that
0: oh no i still think they're stupid <laughs> I still that, that part it. hasn't changed <laughs> no you just i still think they're stupid
1: now you're making money off of it
0: <laughs> yeah no i think they're stupid but i'm not you know what i mean like it, everything that i've done in the nft space has been accidental you know like uh, I didn't buy NFTs. I made NFTs and when I made NFTs. People reached out to me about my NFTs and then I consulted with some people um that I thought were doing some interesting things. And then crypto what is it called? Crypto punks? Mm-hmm. That, that's what called. They yeah, were they were selling of for like a they were selling for like hundred and fifty thousand dollars each. And I thought this is stupid and they're really ugly and that's <laughs> offensive to me. So I I just like fired up Photoshop spent five minutes making a cooler avatar and then posted it on my twitter uh as a pfp and then like somebody asked me where i got it from i said oh it's not an nft i just made it i'm making fun of crypto punks because like it's just not and they're like make me one anyway so i made one and then like 30 people that week asked and so like i sat and made them and then i just was like this is wasting all my time i'm just gonna like hire a dev and have them build, like, an interface where people can mint their own, whatever, NFT, design their own face. And um, it was, it, you know, it was, like, a side thing I just thought my friends would be interested in. And then we started a Discord, and, like, like 8,000 people showed up in the first week. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then I was like, oh, shit, like, now this is a real thing. And so now <sighs> I've just kind of drawn it out for over a year, because it's not, like... It's not like a centerpiece of my life. It's just a thing that, um, you know, I'm doing when I, whenever I have a couple minutes to give a shit. Um, but now I do think the NFT thing has died down a bit. I probably will feel more comfortable when it launches because I, I just didn't... I mean, it would have been cool to get, like, you know millions and millions of dollars for selling people a stewed picture. But I also think that comes with a lot of even if you tell people straight up like I'm gonna buy a yacht with this money, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um maybe there's something in their heart where they like just think you're bullshitting them, but it's like, no man, like here, design a picture and mint it and if you like it, I'm the one who made it. Like it can be like a sentimental thing. Make sure you yeah. like it. Like but it's definitely not something that, you know, I mean I just I think the whole metaverse thing is stupid too. Um, I just think there's a lot of things that maybe they're just stupid because they're so they're so early, and the the real use cases that I think will be valuable are so far out, and people have to to kind of like get their way there. But yeah, for the most part, I'm still not really interested in NFTs. Um,
1: do you still that, have that that vision that you had way back when of, of what this can do? Is uh, having had the experience, you know, between then and now?
0: I mean, I think, you know, I was I was around in the early days of the Internet and the early days of social media, and there was always that feeling. Like, if you go back, I have, a, I have an entire, like, section of my library that's just books written by people in the 90s about how cool the Internet was going to be and how it was going to change everything. And uh, there's a very... In order, I think, in order to have the energy to to kind of create it, you need to believe that it's going to be this really amazing world changing thing, and it does change the world. The internet has undeniably changed the world, but what you really um, fixate on are the positives. So when social media came, you can really just visualize the positives, but you don't really have a good sense for the negative, um, the, the the negative things that come with it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean. You know, do I wake up every day feeling inspired and like, no, I mean, like, I don't give a shit about money, so I don't care about DeFi. I don't care about NFTs as far as like the speculative market. I don't think that they're really, you know, like the coolest thing that I saw was when Beeple, an artist I had I had um, followed for a decade, you know, went from being kind of like this internet hero to a multimillionaire overnight. And then yeah. I got to go up to um, uh, Charles Wait. Charleston uh, where he lives Mm -hmm. and see his new thing so that like that to me was really amazing so it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be these really beautiful amazing things but it's kind of like social media was this thing that let you stay connected to everybody oh now you realize that now but it also gives them an opportunity to express their stupidest opinions and reinforce them and now you hate everyone you know so it's like (laughs) you just don't foresee that kind of thing happening so I think I think it has it has the opportunity to be really massive and really the the positive things can be implemented. But I think we're seeing a lot of truth about how stupid things can be implemented too. You know, like yeah. it's kind of like if you're the guy who invented the knife and you're like, oh my god, I got this thing you can chop stuff with it, and then like the dude just like pokes someone eye someone's eye out, and you're like, oh god, come on, man, that's not what we meant. You're supposed to like to be easier to cut a deer leg you know it's not something not not something to poke someone's eye out with so i'm not as idealistic as i was i'm i'm quite cynical um but i, I don't know i mean I've, I've felt some sense of responsibility but i think also now i'm starting to get a sense that like the the wave is so big it's just like the tsunami and you know w- w- the level of influence that that someone like myself can have i don't i you know it's questionable
1: yeah that's that's definitely an interesting part of this market like going back to you know when you were one of the co-founders and and then it you know it was, it was a pretty small community still and then each kind of successive wave of like the 2017 2018 boom and bust you know was much bigger and then DeFi summer the 2020 stuff and to today it's just now like it's 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 just huge i agree and it seems like um, it's running off in all these different directions, and it, it is hard to be, uh, you know, like uh, all that stuff. You just sort of kind of talking about all the the scams and the the stupid stuff, and and just you know, you're just sort of like, because you know, I'm, I take it seriously, and I think it, I agree with you. I think I'm idealistic about it, but it, it's also sort of like cringy, you know. You just like, am I really, do I really have to put up with this part of the market? I would just really rather it went away. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I've yelled, you know, like from the ICO thing, you know, from the ICO days, like everybody just does the thing that you saw, you know, in the beginning in the dumbest way you could imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. So we were like crowdfunding would be good. But like my, my idea was, you know, we would deal with regulatory stuff first, not just take out all the like Good parts and sell people something extra dumb, Mm. right? And like even things like DeFi. Okay, I probably could have made a ton of money on DeFi, but I take out loans for stuff. You know what I mean? I need to buy Mm -hmm. a house. I take out a loan. I'm not trying to take out a loan that if the price goes down, I get liquidated and like screwed in a million different ways. Like, like it's just not stable enough. And it it's it's all like I, I get that it's like alpha testing of technical things but like yield farming and stuff like that i just not interesting to me um don't find it amazing the the nft thing like there are some cool parts like i said the people thing was cool um but they're all instantiations of ideas that we had they're just no a hundred times dumber than we could have imagined a hundred you know and i don't mean like i don't mean dumb in the sense of like it's just i don't know I don't, just like wonky Just like Mm. wonky, half-assed implementations of what you imagine. And maybe maybe with enough maturity, um, it'll all get better. I don't know. Mm. It might just make the world dumber. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. That is a good place to leave it. Crypto, making the world dumber. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Thanks, man, for taking us down kind of history lane here. I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed just hearing the stories and stuff. Um, Sure. Texture uh you want to tell people how to find you or do you want to just kind of remain in the shadows
0: Uh you can find me on Twitter at i am texture and you can follow texture punks at texture punks with an x on the end cuz the x looked cooler in the font yeah. Um <laughs> and maybe we'll launch it and maybe after we launch I'll retire and my Twitter won't be there anymore and All right. Who knows what will happen knows what will happen
1: if that's the case i want you to come back on and talk to me before you disappear to your um your tropical island
0: yeah no anytime i mean i'm i'm pretty easy i mean yeah (laughs) no problem man yeah all right
1: thanks a lot man i really appreciate it
0: yeah thanks man
1: That's it for this episode of Decent People. We are produced by Matt Solon. Music is courtesy of Brian Duncan and Kareem Ives. Take care.